Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 7, says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace that was given to us. God, we thank you that you have a plan for us greater than our own. Lord, we just ask this morning that your spirit would allow us to hear directly from you, God, that we would just get out of the way. Help us in these next moments to die to our own flesh and the things that would distract us from you, God. Draw us closer to you. Draw us in to deeper waters this morning. Let us abide in you this morning. God, we thank you. We glorify your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. You uh, y'all piled in late, but you had more energy than I was expecting, so that was cool. Uh, kudos to you on that hour less sleep. You guys may just be highly caffeinated, but uh, you worship well for the first couple songs, so that makes me uh, kind of excited about the rest of service. So uh, this morning uh, we will be in uh, the Book of Ephesians again, as the text that you just heard. This is a beautiful and simultaneously difficult text to be in. Uh, there's a lot in it. Paul will unfold, to, uh, unfold before us the fact that the church, the, the body of Christ, us when we gather uh, together, is, is not meant to be a place where people come in to be served and catered to individually. That's a hard message for our American minds to hear. Uh, it's not a place where you come and you're handed uh, countless uh, amenities, any that you might uh, desire. It's not the place that you come and are entertained. The body of Christ was never meant to uh, really in line with this, uh, kind of operate like a, a free market business structure where dollars and desires and voices control all, all things. Essentially, the church was never meant to be consumer-led um, because the church is the opposite of consumers. They're, they're participants in the body of Christ. And Paul's going to kind of dig into that for us uh, in something that I think can be really helpful for us. We covered uh, last week that the greater plan of God in redemption is bigger than just saving you individually on your own and letting you be saved by yourself. 
Uh, God saves sinners, and then he unites them and binds them together to be a part of his body so that they can go out and act like Christ's body in the earth around them, showing the glory of their Savior uh, to the world, right? So this binding together uh, is, is the way that the church operates, but here's the reality. The binding together in Christ will never happen if members only come into a church just to be served and delivered just things on a platter, We'll never operate the way that we're meant to. We'll never show the full beauty of our Savior if we just come in and just want a whole bunch of things given to us. And let me, let me just kind of clear the air before. Like, I, kn- I know that most of you don't want that. Some do, but most of you do not. Uh, but still, there's a good message in here for us. The beautiful thing that happens when we come together and act like the church, Paul will, will show us. We will, when we act like the church and work together and serve together and use our gifts together, uh, th- this text, this part that we're in is going to say we're going to be united, so we're not going to fight as much. Uh, we're also going to be working, and here's the big kicker. When we work together, that's how we mature. We have to hear that. That's the only way you grow up in the faith. You come in kicking and screaming like an infant, not knowing much. All of a sudden, I have this new affection for Jesus, but that's about it. The way to mature comes partly by us working uh, together. And, and here's a caveat. My hope is that this message won't feel like heavy or duty or laborious. As we prayed even before service, the hope is that we would not see uh, being a part of the church as a duty to suffer, but a joy to get to be a part of. Jesus invited us in, and he said, I want you to walk with me and work with me. Let's do this thing, and you will be blown away by what I do. That's his message to us, that our hearts should be overcome with joy for that, oh God, that you would let me in, that you would let me be a part of what you're doing. Uh, I can't dive too far into the text without reminding us a little bit last week because the text last week is, is kind of intrinsically tied to this week. We just didn't have enough time to cover all of it. So in the first 16 verses, I believe, we covered the first six last year or last week, really taking about 35 minutes just to do verse one, uh, and then we're kind of busting the rest of it out uh, today. But Paul directed us to see uh, that to be a, a believer, it meant something at the beginning of last week. To be a believer means that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have access to your life. That's just ground level. They have access in. They get to lead you and me, and they get to guide us, and they get to speak into things. This is why Paul said he was a prisoner of Christ. It's not just because dude was always in jail. He knew that his life was no longer just his own. It was Jesus who had control over him. So he said, because of that, I'm a prisoner to, to his will. He controls me. He gets part of the control of my life. And this really makes sense because to be a believer is more than just being pardoned from sin. To be a believer is also to be a one who King Jesus gets a rule and reign over your life. Jesus is not just the lamb who is slain. He is the king and he is the lion and his rule over the kingdom of God is the place that we live inside of. If we're following Jesus, then that king, he kind of gets some say over the top of our lives. Where Paul was leading us to to see last week is that we want to live these weighty, meaningful lives. They use the word worthy. But to live these weighty, meaningful lives, it's going to require us to trust him at times that we have no understanding of why he's asking us to do certain things. And then we're going to have to do what they lay out in these verses. We're going to have to walk in unity. And then today we're going to cover ministry and maturity. Let's ground level. If you are a Christian, you're in ministry according to this text. It may not be vocational. You may not get a paycheck from the church, but you are in 
ministry. He's going to teach us that, and he starts out that with verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's the very first verse. That's the entry point of what we'll call the concept of collaborative ministry in the body of Christ. It starts here. He says, okay, there is a grace that has been apportioned to all of us. Everyone in the church, to all who are believers, you have grace and even an extra portion of grace given to you. Not just this, he's not talking about this universal common grace that everyone in the world ever will have. He's speaking specifically to the church here. And he's also not talking about a saving grace. He's saying there's an extra different portion of grace that has been given to you. And it is in the form of, we'll find in this text, gifts. If you're a believer, you've been given saving grace and then there's extra grace in the form of of a gift that he has given you. Now, when we talk about grace, we have to understand what it is in the proper context. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that you did not earn. Uh, It's not something that you got because you worked really hard. Paul is telling us Jesus himself gives all the members of his body, all of the sheep in his body, a gift that they didn't deserve. And that gift literally has nothing to do with them and everything has to do with how Jesus wants you to operate in his body. He gives you something you didn't earn. Maybe he gives you something you didn't even really want, but he gives it to you for the purpose for you, so that you would be able to use that in his body to see it grow and see it mature. And he's going to kind of outline that for us in this today. So I want to press on that just a little bit more to make sure that we're getting that. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ or a Christian, then you have to slow down and understand there is an extra portion of grace that is yours right now. It's above salvation. It is yours. You own it. It has been given to you. You didn't do more than other believers around you to get it, but there is extra grace that is found inside of you in the form of a gift. And and, and hear this in the most personal way that I can say it. Jesus looked at you and wanted you to have it, right? It wasn't eeny, meeny, miny, moe and just throwing out randomly. He looked at you and said, I want you to have this and I want you to play a role. In, in most situations, an over-personalization of certain things in the faith can be problematic, but this isn't one of those areas. Jesus personally gave you a beautiful gift. And now he says, hey, now that you know you have it and I gave it to you, I want you to use it. I want you to use it in bold and beautiful ways. I want you to become the gift that you are to the church with the gift that I gave you. You hear that? That that rings back from 1 Corinthians. You, members of the church, are given as a gift to the church with gifts that God gave you to build up the church. That means that if you are a Christian here, you are not inconsequential and you're not unneeded. Jesus says, I gifted you to deploy you for a weighty life. We sort of sit on that for a moment. I gifted you. You using your gift will be the way that you honor and worship me but it will also be the way that you build up the church around you in love and in strength. This is why the whole amenity-based, entertainment-based, service-based church is is backwards. Why? Because gifts in the church, in in amenities-based church, gifts in the church only reside with a few talented people, and the rest of everyone else, you just sit there and don't mess up with what the cool kids are doing. That's never what Jesus meant. Jesus never meant for you to sit on the side and spectate while the other people use their gifts. Jesus did not die to make you a spectator. Do you you understand that? There's a beautiful thing inside of you. He did not die so you would sit there and go, look at that other person. I hope they do well. His hope is that you would see what he has given you and you'd walk out in your gift and you would be a part of banding together with the people around you 
Here it is. Jesus died for you, gave you a gift, and wants to unleash you. What if we caught a vision for that? We catch lots of visions. It's political season right now. There's so many things that catch our mind and so many things we want to be a part of. What if we caught a vision of there is something great inside of me that Jesus gave me and he wants me to use it? God's people redeemed, equipped, and sending it for a beautiful Savior. Verse 8 says this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul, with these verses, he's quoting part of Psalm 68. Uh, This is what is called a victory psalm. If you've read through the psalms, there's worship psalms, there's lament psalms, there's, there's all of these psalms. There's also victory psalms inside of there. So what you have to understand of a victory psalm is it's about victory. So imagine this, if you've watched a movie and you see a king return from war, there's this massive procession that happens, right? In my mind, I see like uh, buildings on both sides in a street and we're up on a terrace and we're looking down and there's this mighty king coming in on a horse after this huge battle and he's riding back from this battle victorious and behind him are the spoils of war, the things that he won the things that he got for his people. Behind the king would be these costly and extravagant gifts that he got at the massive undertaking of the war that he fought on behalf of his people. Now also, normally, the king would normally have captives behind him, right? If you go and you fight a foreign people who are opposing you, he captures some of those people, and they actually bring them behind them as they're coming into to town. What's going to happen here is Paul's going to use this a little bit to form a new picture here for us. We're meant to see that the warrior king Jesus returned after a battle. He descended to heaven to take on flesh and war against our sin. In the process, he not only fought and triumphed over our sin, he fought and triumphed over death and hell as well and the grave all through his coming. And after the battle, he ascended back to heaven next to the Father in his rightful place. And this is what Paul is showing. He's he's giving us this march of Jesus back to heaven after his mighty battle. And he's saying, okay, and behind him, there's not a bunch of captives, there's a bunch of free people. There's this host of people who used to be captive, a massive body, and now they're free. Paul is kind of flipping the script on what a king's return should look like. Normally, the king would return with people who are in prison. Our king goes out, and by his work, he freed people who were once enslaved, and and now they're free in him. You were once enslaved, but now you're free following the king. There's a beautiful view here. Jesus came down to fight a war to recapture people that were rightfully God's and set them free, all on a path that they will one day go home. He doesn't entrap you. He doesn't slave you. He sets you free. Now, Jesus took those who were enslaved to sin and bound to spiritual death, and he did this. Our warrior king fought this massive battle. Normally, when people would go out on battle, they'd drag behind them gold and silver and things that were costly in the world. And Jesus did this behind him in this parade are these gifts that he has. 
And the warrior king, instead of just hoarding gold for himself, he fought to give gifts to the people that he freed. So, so you're catching the image. Jesus comes down and fights the battle that we couldn't. He frees the captives, and in his spoil is these gifts that he won. And what does he do? He divvies them out to the people who were enslaved moments before. Jesus frees those who are lost, frees those who are enslaved, and then he equips and empowers them with gifts that he won by his blood. He says, I want you to use these while I ascend back to the Father. Don't worry, I will never leave you completely. I'll be back. The warrior king's reign and rule will be over all things. Nothing will stand in front of it one day, but in the middle of the grind before, uh, before all things are finished, he gives these gifts for us to walk out in his strength. Our Savior is not like other kings. Frees people and doesn't hoard for himself, but gives to us. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Remember earlier in the book, we're saved not just to get out of hell, but to do good works planned beforehand. He gives us these gifts to do those works so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is where it starts to get real and applicable for all of us if we are believers. And here are my two hopes. The hope for the rest of this is that we would together by the Spirit see specifically what gift we have. If you're a believer, you have one. My hope is that you would begin to see which one is yours. That the Spirit would show you that. That you wouldn't uh, look for what gift you have or be like, oh, I just wish I had that one. Or, or try and identify what the person next to you has. That's not your concern. May the Spirit show you what you have. And then here it is, that he would commission your heart and burden it to go use it with us. Why? So that the church can be built up strong and mature together. That we would joyfully see what Jesus gave us and want to go use it. That's the hope. The text says the spoil, the loot, the plunder that Jesus bought, brought back were the gifts. The gifts are these. Now, uh, you'll hear me uh, kind of refer to these as, as APEST, right, acronym. Uh, but these are the gifts. The, uh, uh, each and every one of us, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. You'll often hear that one called pastors and teachers. These are what he gave. As clear as possible, if you're a believer, you are one of those. You have that gifting inside of you, given to you by Jesus, and there's a possibility that you actually have more than one given to you. There's a possibility that you're pretty bad at one too, at least I am. You have more than one of these in you. And further, let, let me just say this, God isn't up in heaven with Jesus looking at him and be like, dude, you totally forgot that person and that person and that person. Every single person has one. Everyone has a gift. Jesus saw to it, just like redemption for those who are believers, so that they could be deployed. Now, why do we all have these gifts to use, and what, what's kind of the symbolism, and what happens in the middle of them? First off, to understand, though we all have uh, like one or two of these giftings, Jesus was the perfect all of them. 
He was the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. There was none of those that he was weak in or or lacked in. He didn't need a mentor to get better at one or a coach to get better in one. He had them all, and he was perfect in every single one of them. Now, when we are believers, we say that we wear the righteousness of, of Christ. It's like a coat given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it, but he gives it, and we literally wear his righteousness as a gift around us. The same way that we wear his righteousness, this text wants you to to wear the gifting that he's given you as well, to utilize the gift that you have been given to build up the church. But here's the other part. When you use the gift that you have been been given, if if you are one with with an apostolic gift, when you use it in the church, in the body, with other people, because nobody's lone rangering using one by themselves, when you use it with the people around you, you show the people around you Jesus. Remember the Apostle Christ. You are giving them a clearer picture of Jesus every single day. It's not just who does this and who does that. It's how do we advance the church, grow the church, and how do I show you Jesus by following him in the way that he told me that I could? I hope that you see that. Let me show you a little bit, very imperfectly. Let me show you a little bit about what my Savior is like by using what he gave you. Now, this means something. If you have a certain apest gift, one of those five, which if you're a believer, you do, and you don't use it, what does that mean? It means the body is weaker because of that. Here's the other part. When you don't use your gift, it's not just that the body, the, the body is weaker. We're not experiencing Jesus as clearly as we could be. Right? There's, there's abilities for us to see Christ that we're not if some of us aren't using what we've been given. This is why it says that we're meant to see the fullness of Christ. One day we'll see the fullness on the other side of eternity, but here now, if all of us are using the full range of gifts, we see the full range of Jesus here. Everybody in, all needed. As we use our gifts, we experience Jesus more fully. He's with us. Look what he's doing. Look what he did. That's the whole point. It's supposed to to grow. The whole body working together to display the beautiful Savior. If all of this is is true, then the need for this morning is really for us to identify uh, maybe what our gift is and ask the Spirit where we should begin to use it. So I'm going to pause before we go in. I'm going to go teacher style in the next one. We're just going to go through each one, and hopefully we'll understand these gifts a little bit more. But we're going to pray first that the Spirit would help us. That we'd see what our gift is and that we'd want to use it and that we'd want to be a part and that we wouldn't see it as like another thing that I have to do and another thing I have to program, but we'd see a beautiful thing inside of us that we're able to use. I ask you to pray with me over it. Father, we need you. Show us, Lord, what you've given us, what you've done. I pray for the, the meek and maybe they're discouraged that they would not believe the lie that they don't have a gift that they've been given. I pray that they would see it as beautiful, that they would see what gift you've given them and they would have this holy fire inside of them to use it, to build up this body, to build up their missional community with it, God. Show us more clearly. Father, not so that we jockey for position, but so that we see you clearly and so we grow in you. I pray that you would make it be done. The Spirit, speak to our hearts. I pray even more than just realizing what we are, 
as if it's just like a blood type that you would give us a vision for how we're meant to use it. Help us grow in it, God. We plead, make it more than teaching. May your spirit stir us. I pray this in your name. Amen. So the first, this is apostle. When we talk about apostle, the first thing that needs to be said is we're referring not to the office of apostle in the church, right? So, so we will not call you like Dennis the apostle, um, like Paul was the apostle, that whole the apostle thing, that's done with. We can't get that, but we can be gifted like Paul as an apostle, Okay. A lot of people get really, like, bothered by that. You will not be called apostle or anything like that. You just may have a gifting like that that God wants to utilize. So, the apostle. Some of you may be surprised to hear that apostle in Latin means missionary. You might be like, oh, maybe I do know what that is. An apostle is a person who always wants to push outside the walls of the church. Not rebellious style. But they're always looking to people, right? They're little arrows. They're always looking outside of the church to who may need Jesus. What group needs him? What group needs to hear the gospel? What group needs to to hear the good news of Jesus? They always want to go. They always want to go and be a part and minister and love somebody in some place. They want to do that all the time. The person who has an apostolic gifting, gifting takes very seriously the call for Jesus to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Like they, they can probably get uneasy if we stay here too long and don't reach out. They always want to love other people. Uh, apostolic gifting people are so needed because they show the church the missionary identity that we were created to have. Without them, we will never be what we were meant to be. They point us outwards. Without missionaries, we will become outposts, probably of self-righteousness, but nobody will ever get saved. They always want to go and show what Jesus is like. I'm not trying to drag them here. I'm going to where they're at. I'm going to where, where they want to be. Like the, the, the side of Jesus that went and, and hung out with people and, and the religious people were like, man, I think he's kind of a drunkard. That was his apostolic side. He's like, no, they're not going to the temple, so I'm going to go to where they're at. This is the apostolic gifting person. Hear me say this. Some of you here are apostles, and we need you super bad right now. We need to remind and encourage you to remind us and encourage us that we have to go. Prophet. Those with the gift of prophet inside of them, the arrows. I stole these from Jeff Vanderstelt, so I didn't come up with it, but it's great. Um, the up and the down. They're always looking up for God's word and they're trying to bring it down so that we can understand it here inside the church. That's what they want to do. They're always wanting to obey the words of God. Uh, If you think of like Francis Chan and David Platt, they are very clearly people with the prophetic gifting. Like Francis Chan, if you've watched any videos of him, his MO is to hold up the floppy Bible like this and go, God's word says it. Do you believe it? Let's do it. You're like, yes, it does. And like everyone cries. He has the prophetic gifting. This is the incarnational impulse inside of a church that that, that really wants the church to boldly embody Jesus' person. They want us to look like the God that we take on his name.
They're uncompromising in their obedience towards the Word. They can be very brash because of that. Here's the other side that could surprise you. They are often our social justice warriors. Why? Well, God says to love and care for the least of these, and they get really bothered when we don't. They will fight the fight that other people can't. They will relentlessly want to care for people who are not. Now, the missionary always says, go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. The prophet says, no, no, no. We got to learn how to sit here and be holy. If we just go all the time and we're hot messes, we'll never do what we're meant to be, right? One wants to go out and one wants to show the world Jesus by, by planting deep roots. They still want to reach out and help solve things in the world around them, but they're worried about a geographic central location most of the time, and they're going, how do we show the community around us Jesus? And we got to stop playing Christian and be Christian to do it. That's, that's the whole prophetic mindset. We need both of them, though. Do you see it, how we'd become unbalanced if, 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 if we're always going and never staying, or if we're always staying and never going, we, we need both of those impulses or else we're backwards. The third is evangelist. The evangelist arrows in, right? The, the evangelist is the proverbial gatherer in the church. Their impulse is to go out into the world and call other people, come and hear the good news. You've got to hear this. Jesus is awesome. I know you didn't think it, but he is. If you come here, we'll tell you about it. That, that's the evangelist. Uh, if you see a church plant that grows super fast, generally it's planted by an evangelist. They're really, really, really good at getting you excited and getting you here. They gather people together. They want to herald Jesus' name. They really, truly think Jesus is beautiful. You'll hear words like, Jesus is just so awesome out of them all the time. They just love him. They're captured by Christ's beauty, and they really want other people to be captured by it as well. They may not necessarily be able to teach them about it really well, but they will gather you so you can be taught about it. This type of people is used to bring people in. They are the ones who get people to come into the church. Generally, if, if a person gets saved and they have an evangel, uh, evangelistic gifting, they're going to bring four friends with them, like immediately. This is what they do. My hope for us, honestly, guys, is that we would have some sleeping giant evangelists woken up. Some of you are too scared. You think Jesus is that beautiful, but you're too scared to tell other people to come. I think God wants to break that. We need a fire to erupt in you to gather. We need you. A little side note. Evangelists aren't always extroverts, and they're not always hyper. Seriously, some, some of the most effective evangelists, they just love Jesus so much they can't shut up. They may not even want to say it, but they, they, they can't help. They want people to see his beauty. So this whole, like, well, I couldn't be an evangelist because I'm scared, that, doesn't, that literally means nothing. You might be. Jesus wants some of the evangelists here who are scared to boldly go and trust him by telling people. Right, last week, how do I go and trust? If you're an evangelist, that's how you go and trust. You go and boldly go and let him take care of what happens afterwards. Shepherds, these are often called pastors, you do not have to be a vocational pastor. Shepherd kind of works a little bit better in this. Uh, shepherds are always really, really, really concerned about the heart. Right? See all the other arrows out and everything like that? No, they just want to know what's going on in here. 
Uh, they, they always want everyone to be happy. They want people to be well cared for. Uh, they, they deeply want to know what's going on inside of you. Uh, they're super passionate about knowing what the gospel is doing in a person. You're going to hear sayings like this out of them. How is your heart? Uh, what are your affections being pointed at right now? That, that's, that's definitely a shepherding saying. Uh, what are you struggling with right now? How can I pray for you? What, what's hurting and how, and how can I help you be pointed towards the cross in the middle of that? That's all shepherding. They care about the internal side. They have this whole counseling care of the inner body inside of them. The shepherd wants to know the sheep intimately. They pay careful careful attention to the sheep because they want them to be cared for well. They are what we will call soul care ninjas. Without them, we are in trouble because we'll all run around like our hair's on fire and everyone will never be cared for. Shepherds are normally really good at walking through suffering with people, with long suffering, uh, with carrying a burden with people and not getting aggravated. Uh, as I thought through this, one, one thing that maybe we need to understand, some of you really want shepherds around you, and, and I think that it's easy to tend to get bitter towards some people who haven't long suffered as well as you would want them to, and, and maybe just could the Holy Spirit tell you it may not be because they don't love you, they just may not be a shepherd. They may not be able to sit there that long. It doesn't mean they don't care. Try telling an apostle to sit with you in pain for six months. They don't have it in them. Seriously, we laugh, but how mad do we, do we get at people when we just don't understand? They're just not wired that way. Doesn't mean they hate you. They just can't. Again, why we need all of them. The other side of the shepherding thing is if we're all shepherds, we're going to be a counseling dysfunctional mess. Because we'll never want to get past our problem. We'll just want to talk about it a lot. Not good. If that's all there is. Teacher. Teachers are concerned with knowing the word of God from above and showing people systematically what to do with it. Uh, in a sermon, like we, we've, we've done preaching and teaching cohorts, and we talk about it a lot, um, a teacher wants to give you handles with a text so you can pick it up and use it. They, they want to help you so you know what to do. They want to give the word feet so that you can take it and use it. They are very interested in God's word, not just to tell you what it is, but to teach you how to go and deploy it. They methodically break down things to make them more digestible for everyone around them. That's what a teacher does. Uh, teachers can often be found loving studies and curriculums and outlines. Like ladies in our MCs, they'll probably have binders. They, they love information. They love it because they know the power of it, that it can teach people how to walk it out. Now, a lot of people mistake a prophet for a teacher. Now, a person can be a prophet and teacher, but a prophet and teacher are not the same thing. These giftings, the way they manifest themselves are different. A prophet is going to say, God says, so go do it now. Teacher says, well, God says this. Let me help you understand why, and let's get four steps to help you kind of start that, and I'll check in with you. Do you, do you understand the difference? There's, there's a patience difference, and there's a, a depth of information difference, maybe a kindness difference, but they help you begin to walk it out. We need teachers to understand and walk out the word of truth that is given to us. Now, 
Looking at the, the other direction, what happens if we don't have a gift set mix? What happens if some of our people are riding the bench? And this is not just the part about kids' ministry. Like, we need you guys to do that. But this is with these specific giftings, what happens if you're not? Well, if a church is only led by apostles, we're going to always be moving and sending and going, but we may never ever see anything done because we can't stay still long enough. We're really good at starting, not super good with following through. Like, they need teachers and equippers to come back and do that. I will go where you're too scared to, but once I get there, things may be on fire and I need somebody else to stabilize it. Apostles need other gifts to come with them. They may not see real change. And they may be so focused in going to be around a person that they may not show them the reason that they're going there. It's a tender area to be in the middle. If we're all prophets, we will be social warrior justices or uh, social justice warriors backwards. Um, we'll be really mean. We'll be really self-righteous. We will make sure the world is loved, and we really don't care how. It doesn't matter who I have to steamroll to get it done. Ends justify the means. We would be in trouble. Uh, if we were all prophets, we would be better at using a hammer instead of just slowly loving someone. And we may be more known for a cause than a king. We'll fight hard. Maybe not always for the right reason, though. We need them, though, because without them, we become chickens. If we only have them, we become ruthless. If we're all evangelists, we'll probably have a ton of people around. None of them will look anything like Jesus, though. We'll have a big group and a big crowd and big stuff and it'll be fun and we'll love it and we'll high five but we won't be holy and we won't be sanctified. We will think Jesus is beautiful. We just probably won't actually look like him. See, evangelists are great because they're the ones that get people in but they need the teachers and the other ones to go, it's great that you're here. It's great that you like Jesus. What would it look like if we started living like him though? We won't mature if we're all evangelists. If we're all shepherds, we'll sit in our suffering for a really long time. Like I said before, we'll never come out the other side, though. We'll be a great big self-care group, but as a church, we'll be dying because no one else will ever come in. Let that ring how it needs to. The shepherd wants people to be happy and liked and just be together so bad, but they may forget to actually tell them about Jesus along the way. They may be more focused on relieving tension off of your heart than saying, hey, brother, I think you need to repent. All shepherds can get really, really super dysfunctional really fast. They mean really, really well, but they have a hard time with truth at different, time, at different points. If we're all teachers, we'll be a big Bible study, we'll know everything, we will be right, and we'll be all by ourselves. We'll feel very righteous, we'll look around and kind of go, if they just got it, it'd be so much easier. Um, 
but we would never go. In all of our rightness, we would never see the wrongness of people who are lost, and we would never reach out. Teachers are great, but they need a ton of help, though, because they'll just stay home and learn the whole time. Hopefully, we can see a little bit of this. I hope that you can see a little bit of the gift that you are given in this. And hopefully, you can see, too, why it's really important for you to use what you have. Just be as clear as possible. I don't have all the gifts. You know that. Other people who lead, they don't have them all. And sometimes we get beat down and we don't use them very well. All the people using all the gifts, the full body using the full range to be fully healthy in Jesus. If we don't use the full mix, we will become imbalanced, which is a nicer way to say super unhealthy. As I thought about the text this week, it landed on me and just... For a moment of, of just reflection, I think it's probably important to say and just ask for forgiveness personally uh, from you for at times acting as if maybe your gift wasn't as important. Here's what happens. I'm higher in the, in the going side, and that tends to try and pr- protect um, a certain way of doing things, and in that, you can mistakenly invalidate other people. I see that this week. I'm sorry. Like, we can make these moves to, to try and protect things, and we can hurt things. So just from, the, from, from me down, man, I'm sorry. I need your gifts. We need your gifts. See, I think we all lead out in what we feel strongly about. And this can cause a problem because we feel strongly about a, a certain gift set most of the time because we're meant to use it. But we can turn around and be mad at other people like, well, you don't care about this. We're like, no, they're just not a shepherd. The strong feeling we have about certain pulls in the church doesn't make everyone else an idiot. It just makes them different than you. What if we all just work together and go, I can do this, but I'm terrible at that. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. All ministering, all together with the full set of gifts that we have been given. We feel strongly because we're meant to go use them, not because we're supposed to tell other people they're wrong. The last verses. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Just the beginning. Do we want to grow up? Base level question. Like, in, in all honesty, do, are we, do we care about that? We're like, no, no, I'm good. We can just, we'll just ride out the way we're doing. Because this tells us how. If you want to not be fickle and move back and forth, if we want to be strong and grounded, knowing that there's scheming things around us, then we speak truth in love. And we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul straining hard. This can't be done with a couple. It has to be all. When you look at, at the body at a ligament and muscle and a, and a muscular level, he's trying to get you to understand, oh, there's a whole lot of things that need to happen for that to work. Yeah. Yeah, there is. The why of all of this, when we use our gifts, all of us, it'll make the body strong. We come into the faith infants, not knowing much, babies in the faith who are fickle, 
And we see this even in our own hearts at times when you're like, when you're pulled this way and that way, and then you're up and then you're down and you're like all back and forth. Paul's going, if you don't want that, maybe start by looking here. If we use all of our gifts, the full APES spectrum, then we'll actively show each other the full Jesus. And as we see the full Jesus, we'll have a more balanced view of him. And the more balanced view of him will work on each side of us. The full view of the full Jesus will make the full body strong. When we see the full Jesus clearly, every fad and thing that comes at us, you'll be like, that's not nearly as good as him. Kind of appealing. Not as good as Jesus, though. It's, it's protection against everything that comes at you. That's what he's saying. Everything that comes at you won't throw you off course. And he's talking about speaking the truth in love. There are places where, where, where the Bible talks about that, and we think, well, you just say a mean thing, but in a nice way, and that's what speaking the truth in love is. You're like, no, no. I think to speak the truth in love in context of this is you're speaking the truth of Jesus and the way that you're wired to the body, and that's the way you love them. Does that, does that make sense? If you're an apostle, you speak the truth of Jesus' apostolic nature to the church by using that gift. That's your love. Well, what if I don't use my gift? And he's, well, you don't love them. If you're in a spot, if you're in a spot where maybe your joy and security in Jesus always seems to be fluctuating. Let me just suggest in light of what he is saying, not to hurt you, but to try and love us and build us up. May it possibly be that you're not using the gift that you have in walking close with other people, walking close with other people who are using their gifts, and because of that reality, it's caused you to be blinded to whole parts of who Jesus is, and, and it's really messed with your sense of security. Are you following me? You're not using how you've been wired, and you're not close enough to see how other people are using it either, and you're not, you're not getting a picture of Jesus because of it. He's saying once we all use our gifts, and once we all put in, and we see the beauty of the gospel, we become strong. He gave us these gifts to use them and feed off the people around us using theirs. But it's only when we buy into the process and be a part that we'll actually grow up in that type of maturity. Church, those are the gifts that, that Jesus saw fit to give us. Like the Apostle Paul didn't go like, hey, what should I just make up today? Like Jesus gave these gifts. We all have them and our church needs them. We need apostles to help us to go uh, places that we're not with Jesus' message. If we look around and see just kind of the history for us over the last year or two, we have not been pushing out in the apostolic giftings the way that we need to. We, we need that. We need prophets to help push us to love the least of these well. We need evangelists to, to, to go and regularly ask people to come in and hear the word. We need excited people to say, come and hear about my beautiful Savior. We need shepherds to care for the hearts of the people around us. I would say I think we've done very well in that one. And we need teachers, both men and women, to show us God's word in powerful, powerful ways. I, I wish there was a way to say something in a way that it would land. Jesus paid a really high price to give you a gift. 
His blood was a part of buying that for you personally if you're, if you're a Christian. I don't want to scare you, but I would want to remind you intentionally of this, that one day Jesus will walk up. We don't, we don't like to talk about it very much. In the Bible, there's actually two judgments that it talks about. There's one who, who's paying for your sin, and there's another, what'd you do with your life? One day Jesus will look at us like the parable of the talents, and he'll say, hey, what'd you do with the gift that I gave you? I put that in your hand to love the people next to you. What'd you do with it? We're trying to wrap our minds around, but I thought there's not going to be any shame in heaven, and that, that question's going to cause me shame. I don't know. But there will be a time when we're asked, what'd you do with your time? Not tied to your redemption. Did you invest the time in the gifts that I gave you? Man, my, my, my hope is not to guilt anybody into using their gift, but to see that Jesus gave us something beautiful, and he will ask about it, though. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would kind of just mark a turning point in us to where we would see more clearly what gift we have, but then there'd just be this desire to use it. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Sunday, we had a... Um, a prayer meeting together and just began to use the whole time with no agenda just to ask God to work and speak. Do you know what's really interesting about that? He has. When you ask him, hey, what would you want me to do? How can I trust you? When you faithfully continue to ask that, he will answer. So in the same way, when you go, what is my gift and what, you, what do you want me to do? If you spend some consistent time asking that and, and chewing on that with the, especially the missional community around you, I believe that he's going to answer you. I mean, I, I think we all want to have this desire to do what Paul said to hear, well done, the good and faithful servant. Jesus paid it all. Yes, that is true. But man, you ran so well. Not to build you up, but just say, I got to play a part in what he was doing. One day we'll see the king face to face. Man, I, I want to hear you obeyed me in the chaos. He fell on your face pretty hard a couple times. <laughs> but you tried to use what I gave you. You're just obedient. I don't need you to be a superstar. You were obedient. Well done. Come on. All that pain, it's gone now. I'll close by just offering a couple questions for us to ponder. Hopefully, um, as we begin to worship in song at the end and take the Lord's Supper, you'll, the Lord's Supper, you'll have time to kind of wrestle with this. Just seriously asking Jesus, hey, what, what gifting did you give me? Is there more than one? What should I be pressing into? Ask the Holy Spirit how you should move forward in that gifting. Well, Pastor, I don't know if I heard anything today. Ask more. Ask with other people. Ask, seek, knock, continue. He'll speak, I promise. I'm banking that our gracious Father has given and will keep giving by speaking into you what he wants. We had, like most of my MC took uh, a couple different APEST tests. 
I don't know if they're the most helpful thing in the world, uh, but we have one. The only time I'll tell you to pull your phone out will be now. All other times I don't like it, but if you want to take a picture of that, it's even a test to try and help you identify what gifting you are. Go take that to your MC and talk to him. Say, hey, man, I took this. Do you think this is right? Like, no, totally wrong. Okay, I'll take another one. <laughs> like, what, what do you think? Just begin to dialogue about that. Um, test is not gospel. Uh, I, I think it got some of ours wrong, but it's a great point to just start talking through. What if we understand this? We are the body. We, there's always this grass is greener mentality, right? But we are the body and we are fully equipped right now to do everything Jesus wants us to do. Right? We don't, we don't need a new elder or a new MC leader. Hopefully you don't think you need a new pastor, maybe. We are fully equipped with the full allotment of gifts we need right now, which means you guys have an incredible bounty of gifts. It makes sense why this book is laid out this way, though, right? If we believed that we had those gifts and then prayed what he asked us to pray for just a couple weeks ago, you can't out-ask God, ask him to do amazing stuff and watch as you continually are blown away. What if the church really believed they had those things and they begin to really ask God to work? I will submit to you, King Jesus, by using what you have given me to step out. I won't get it. It's going to scare the tar out of me, but I'll do it. A generous king has given gifts to his church to be brave and alive with. Just on a personal note, as we look back at our history, we seriously need evangelists and apostles. Not more than the others. We're just heavy on teaching and shepherding. We're heavy on that right now. We genuinely do want people to be cared for. We genuinely do want to not be heretical. I don't know if that said right, but... But I don't know how much we're reaching out to other people. I don't know how much our heart is burning inside to go to a place that we haven't gone. And that's not to guilt you, it's just to go like, hey, if we've overpowered you with other gifts, man, I'm so sorry, we need you. All five, all the time, strong and healthy. May we grow in health and then, and, and then just hear this, not in a name it, claim it way, but like, if we're healthy, we're teaching, and we're caring, and we're reaching out, and, and we are being missionaries and evangelists, I think we'll grow too. It's not all about growth, but we do want to have like, hey man, I got to have another baptism service. We just had one, yeah, but three other people want to be baptized. This is the way that Christ has lined out his church. All people all in, doesn't mean that you have to give 80 hours of your time, but you give faithfully what he's given back to him. And then we go strong that way. Band, you guys can come back up. We'll take communion as we normally do. And, and here it is to defend our hearts in the middle of it. When you take the bread and dip it to the, into the cup, it's the bread and the body of Christ for you. Whether you've used your gift well or not, 
there's still a sacrifice for you. And may that sacrifice, when you take it, may empower you to walk out instead of be scared to use it later. There's been a beautiful sacrifice given for a beautiful bride and beautiful gifts that we would take them out and use them. If we just did that, it would be amazing. I pray that we will. Will you stand and pray with me? Father, we pray that you would do your work today. Spirit, come and help us. May we see the beauty of the gifts that we have. May we not be stuck in fear or anger of other gift sets, but may we be encouraged and emboldened. I pray that we would have just an unquenchable thirst to reach out more and more and more to step in deeper and deeper water, to believe in you by using what you've given us, God. Father, I pray that you will bind up our wounds. Though we have led out too strongly in some gifts, I pray that you bind up all of that and that you help us become healthy and balanced in you. I pray that we wouldn't have shame or feelings of worry about the gifts that we don't have, but that we would just fuel our community by encouraging the other people to use what they do have. Would you do that? Would you put fresh vision into our hearts? Every member of the body, every sheep, would you give them fresh steps of how to use what you've given them? I pray that you would build us up, help us to be strong. Help us not to feel like we get tossed back and forth by everything that comes at us, but help us to be grounded in you. Jesus, you're beautiful and you're kind. I pray, too, that you would draw hearts to you this morning. 